love one another, forgive, judge not, fear not. It's all such great advice with beautiful outcomes, but none of those principles is a one-step process. So let's talk specifics, the messy step-by-step. Welcome to, but how though, in a bunch of other spiritual conundrums. Welcome back to, but how though, and a bunch of other spiritual conundrums. February to me is love month. And I really want to focus on love this February and more specifically, love in relationships between humans. Don't get me wrong. I love talking about the love between team universe and humans and all the ways that that love is shown and affirmed. But this month, I really want to focus on the specific ways we give and receive love to and from each other, as well as some of the things that hold us back in some cases, even block us from giving and receiving love as freely as we could be. So last season, in the episode entitled, Weather Is It Easier?, we talked about the story in the New Testament of the dude who could not walk, and Jesus forgave his sins and healed him on the spot. That episode was mostly about losing some of our limits when it comes to asking for things from Team Universe and accepting all the ways that they bless us. But after the episode was released, a friend of mine made a comment on my Facebook page about it, and it really struck me. She said, one of my favorite layers to that story are the friends who were like, I don't care what we have to do. We will get you into that house. (laughs) May we all be that friend. And oh, I want to be that friend. Always. It's easy to say I would be. When my friend has the possibility of changing their life by pursuing a dream or getting into that house. And I think that we would all love to believe that we would be carrying that stretcher to get them there. But would we? Because what does that look like from a practical standpoint? There are a lot of people in that story. Some we can read about and some we can only imagine. And I got to think that I could have been any one of them under the right circumstances. See, because before the story begins, someone had to have told that guy about Jesus, right? At some point before he decides to go, Jesus had to been talked about. Like he was just a preacher who was teaching some very unorthodox doctrine in a time that was very happy with orthodox doctrine. But Jesus was different because he also seemed to be a little bit magical and could like perform miracles and stuff. So naturally people wanted to get a closer look. Was he really saying crazy stuff? Was he actually performing miracles? Based on everyone's personal background, I'm sure they all had opinions because we humans are really good at opinions. So the dude who can't walk hears about the possibility of a dream coming true for him. He could be healed. It's possible. And what do the people around him say? Are they all stretcher carriers? We don't know, but I can imagine that they weren't all encouraging, not because they didn't love him. And maybe they were even discouraging because they did love him. (laughs) Can you hear it? Wait, Johannes, you don't know anything about this preacher. He's probably crazy. He's probably a scammer who preys on gullible people. You don't want to be a victim. You're not that gullible. Come on, man. Life's not like that. There are no easy fixes. You just need to be faithful and keep your head down and accept what your life is. Just be grateful for what you have, man. Don't go waste your time and energy and resources chasing what you don't have. And then there may have been people who said stuff behind his back. 
Dude, did you hear Johannes is going down to see that preacher, Jesus? <gasps> I know. No, seriously, they're literally carrying him there. Like, what do they think is going to happen? Do they really think some guy can just heal him? And even if he could, how are they even going to get close to him? I hear he's always swarmed with people. They can't just walk a man on a stretcher into a crowd and then beg some guy to fix him. Like, he's not a doctor. And they're idiots. Or maybe the people in the crowd saw this and thought, okay, is that a guy on a stretcher? Like, they are not getting through this crowd with him. What are they thinking? And seriously, that guy's got like the palsy or something. Can he even hear what Jesus is saying? He is taking up valuable space when he might not even be able to hear and understand what's happening. It'd probably be better if they left him home and then just told him about the sermon later. I mean, what do they think this is? Like, he's just going to heal everyone who shows up? Come on. This stuff sounds awful, right? It sounds awful. But also kind of realistic. It's easy for us on this side of the miracle to think that we would be the people who believed, the people who got that guy to Jesus, because we have the record of what occurred. We know he was healed. But what about when we don't know what the future holds? Are we the kind of friend who shoots another friend's dream down because of our own limited experience or often because of our own insecurities? Do I try to predict an outcome for someone because of the way their dream feels to me? Ugh, guys, sometimes I have. I never want to be that kind of person again because it's a trap. It's an actual trap we can fall into and it's very hard to get out because we rarely notice we're trapped. But how though? That's the question this week. How do we see the trap of not being the encouraging friend, of being a discouraging friend? And how do we let go of those chains that are weighing us down in our real life relationships? Once upon a time, I wanted to be a writer, a real writer who wrote stuff that like people read and, and liked. <laughs> it's a dream so many people have that it is an easy one to shoot down. There are saturated markets. There's competitive publishing practices. It is a jungle to try to become a quote, real life writer. I worked hard on that dream. I really wanted it. And I did have a lot of cheerleaders along the way and also a few people whispering behind my back or saying things to my face about how this dream either wasn't necessary or it wasn't achievable. Like no one gets published. Does Rachel really think she's going to get published or she's not a real writer unless she does get published and it's not worth pursuing that dream unless it accomplishes X, Y, and Z in visible results. Whatever my becoming a writer meant to them, that is how they reacted in their support or discouragement in my dream. I saw and felt several levels of reactions and support. And to be honest, they all made sense. But then I experienced the stretcher carriers and I have never been the same since. <laughs> in the writing world, there's a lot of writers conferences and a lot of contests. And one such conference holds what's called a first chapter contest every year. They judge all the entries, they provide feedback, they give prizes for the really great first chapters in tons of different genres. The first year I entered the contest, I was inducted into a group called the First Chapter Contest Support Group or something. <laughs> Basically, we volunteered to read each other's chapters and provide feedback before the contest to help each other polish our chapters the very best we could before we entered. I loved reading other people's chapters. You guys, I did. I loved getting to cheer other people on and read the beginnings of some really fun stories. 
Some of the best first lines I've ever read were from those first chapters. But quickly, I devolved into loving finding all the things that were wrong with the chapters I was reading so that I could feel good about myself. I wasn't being a jerk or anything. I was being honest, but my purpose wasn't to propel someone forward. It was to find fault because I felt so good about myself pointing faults out because it made me feel super smart. Listen to that. Listen to that for a second. I made the reading of their chapters about how I felt about myself. I didn't even realize I was doing it. It wasn't even so I could feel good about my chapter being better than their chapters. It wasn't even about the product. It was literally an instinctual reaction that occurred because critiquing their chapters made me feel like I knew stuff they didn't know. It made me feel slightly superior and gave my ego a little bit of a boost until I got my first round of feedback. Several people read my chapter and they gave it a lot of time and attention. I don't remember any one person's feedback in particular or anything. I just remember feeling their purpose in providing feedback seemed very different (laughs) than my purpose had been. I felt these people were genuinely trying to help my chapter genuinely trying to help me. I don't think they were posturing in like a weird, smaller pre-contest contest. I think they really just wanted all the chapters to be the best they could be. The feedback was generous. It was thoughtful. It was kind. They structured it with both positive and negative, and I got so much of it. I read my chapter with new eyes after receiving the feedback and I could see because of them sharing their perspectives, how my chapter was coming across and how I wanted it to come across and the ways in which I needed to change it in order to get it from coming across the way it was coming across to coming across the way I wanted it to come across. This is from people who were in fact my competitors, but they gave to me as if they had nothing to lose because the truth was they didn't. Getting me into that house wouldn't take anything away from their opportunities. And some people, it seems like they just get that. And I had to think, okay, because I'm not one of those people that naturally gets that. I noticed it though. And I had to think, what is the biggest difference between the people who subconsciously judge and even discourage a dream and the people who can consciously support a person's dream as if it's their own? Because these reactions are sometimes just gut reactions. So how do you circumvent that discouragement instinct? And where does it come from to begin with? The difference is in the ways in which we take it personal. When another person announces they're pursuing a dream, especially a big one, we're going to have several natural responses within ourselves. And our reactions may be different depending on who it is that's announced their dream, not just what the dream is, okay? And if we're willing to examine the reactions just for a quick second, I think we'll find some really interesting things. The level of freedom we feel in any given relationship depends highly on how well we're able to see ourselves within that relationship. Meaning if we feel our worth or value threatened within a particular relationship, the more likely we are to protect ourselves and our egos in all of our interactions with that human. This is not necessarily the other person's fault. It's not necessarily because they are attacking us. It's literally just an indication of how we're currently using that relationship and how we currently view ourselves within it. 
Sometimes we feel fear. We're afraid for them. And because we love them, we don't want them to get hurt if their dream doesn't pan out. We don't want them to suffer if things go awry. And our fear twists our love into worry, which then translates into cautionary responses. This happens a lot with parent-child type relationships or where you feel like you might have any kind of responsibility over that person. Sometimes, though, we may even be afraid of that person. What if they go for that dream and achieve it? What will that mean about me? Have I gone after all my dreams? Will it make me feel inadequate, ashamed, or inferior to see them succeed? All three of those emotions are strong and they carry very compelling behaviors with them. So what would my shame or fear of inadequacy drive me to say? What if they get that dream and they change and I don't change? Will they outgrow me? There are any number of deep subconscious fears that could be felt in an instant And the behaviors or reactions that come out, come out a second later, but you don't realize what drove the response necessarily. You just responded. You may not have any idea the fear lurking deep down that drove your response. Sometimes we might feel jealousy. An opportunity comes for someone else and we wonder why we never get opportunities like that. Or we think our life would be going better if we'd had the same things handed to us as someone else has had handed to them. Or maybe we just don't like facing the necessity of growth. We're scared of it or it's painful. And if someone else embraces or pursues growth, we feel uncomfortable. (laughs) So we question their motives as if there's a wrong reason to pursue growth. And if we can assign a morally negative motivation to them, it makes us feel more secure in our choosing not to pursue growth. And there's a ton of different variables in all of these. But the one constant is... We have a tendency to make someone else's experiences, someone else's opportunities, and someone else's choices about us. And if we take another person's choices personally, in terms of what their choice means about us, we will instinctually protect ourselves from that choice or try to take advantage of it as if it's ours. But it isn't. This can be done on a large scale, like a career choice or what kind of house a person chooses or who a person chooses to date. Or it could be done on a really small scale, like why is that person loading the dishwasher that way? Or seriously, who would wear that? And we take the choice personally in order to find a winner based on what we think about the choice, which comes out as discouragement instead of encouragement, judgment instead of curiosity. How do we get around that? It is literally an instinctual reaction. In some relationships, it is so strong, we almost can't help ourselves, Taylor Swift, and we got to step on their gowns. (laughs) And the answer is actually a really easy one, psychologically speaking, but it can take years to put it consistently into practice. Seeing yourself clearly. Yes, start the piano music. It turns out that the key to loving people freely is learning how to love yourself so much that you don't have to fight for the upper hand in your own mind. You got to recognize that you are, in fact, the center of the universe, two-team universe, totally everything you want, everything you dream, everything you have, everything you are is so important that the universe would do anything to assist you in succeeding. You are the center of the universe. And so is that other person. Every single human has the love and unlimited support of Team Universe. And the best gift 
all of us can give the world is the best, happiest, most developed, and fullest version of ourselves. The best gift your friend, the best gift your husband, your wife, your child, your mother-in-law, your boss, every person you know, the best gift they can give you is the happiest, most developed, fullest version of themselves. And you want that. We all want that. Let's say they need help with something. We don't want them to get help because we said to get help. And if they follow our advice, it's like them admitting how it's smart we are so we win. No, that's the cheap version. We want them to get help because it will add to their happiness and success. Their happiness and success automatically adds to ours because success is not a finite resource. We don't have to determine which of us is going to be successful. We all can be. And when we feel that, really feel that, that there's room for everyone on the nice list, that there's room for everyone at the table, we will stop fighting for a spot and rush to help others find theirs. Team Universe operates on a more to all, less to none principle. In that way, we can take another person's dream personally in that we can be personally invested in doing what we can to get them there. It's okay if that takes time. It's okay if that takes practice. It's okay if we feel gut reactions we wish we didn't. The key is awareness and practice. We can carry the stretcher, even if it's just for one block of that dude's journey, knowing that if he gets his dream, the whole world gets better because he gets better. That's all I got for this week. Please join us again next week. We will tackle another facet of love. I'm Rachel Larson, and I believe in love. I believe that love is at the heart of all of our dreams, and it can also be at the heart of a lot of our problems. (laughs) If we're willing to look at the ways we give and receive love and adjust as necessary, I think we'll find more freedom in love than through any other pursuit. Sometimes it takes a lot of work. Sometimes it takes asking a lot of questions. But Team Universe isn't afraid of our questions. Not even, but how though?